Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Navy Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. Thank you for coming on. Can you tell me a bit about how long you and your Navy husband have been together and how you sort of met? My husband, David, and I have been together for roughly three years. We're coming up to our second wedding anniversary this August. And initially, we met through our jobs while he was on an exchange posting in Canada. He worked in an office where I visited clients quite often. We kind of got an introduction at that point, but didn't really connect until a few months later at an outside work event. So we connected at that point. Wow. And was he posted there for a while when you met or had he just arrived or what was the situation? He was initially posted to Canada for three years. By the time I met him, he had completed roughly a year and they actually pulled him back after two years. So um, when I met him, he was a little more than a year in of his uh, completion. Okay. So you guys had a year together before the plans changed? Yeah, roughly. Yeah. So you got a quick introduction of how... (laughs) Plans plans change with the Navy. (laughs) A very quick introduction. (laughs) So what sort of happened with obviously your time getting cut short with your relationship and what you had sort of planned for that extra year of obviously being together before you had to potentially make a decision about moving or what would happen? When they had cut the posting short, we were both really upset because obviously we were looking forward to spending that extra year together. And it was relatively a new relationship just being a year in. So at that point, we were really both unsure about our future together. We had our own careers. We were both really independent and we fully recognize challenges of pursuing a long distance relationship or maybe some of the sacrifices that one of us would have to make relocating across the world. So, but that being said, we quite quickly decided after he returned to Australia that we would give our relationship a really good shot. And we resided apart for 15 months. But during those 15 months, we made roughly, I think, eight international trips to see each other. We got engaged, we got married. We started the immigration process. We started the importation process of bringing our dogs over. Um, Yeah, we did a lot. We did a removal from Sydney to Perth because he was posted to Sydney after he left Canada. And then after I came over to do the removal with him, I went back to Canada. I finalized the sale of the house, sold our SUV, pretty much put my life into three suitcases and got on a plane last April. Wow. Yeah. And on top of all of that, you're then also dealing with being the one moving away from your family and friends and life and... Yes, definitely. So how did you sort of cope with that? Or was it just the fact that obviously you were moving to be with your new husband and that was all exciting? Did that sort of, I guess, fuel the move and all of that emotions? And was there a period where you sort of just sat down and went, it's been a pretty huge couple of years? (laughs) No, I didn't really think the move was was that impactful or that big. I grew up um, having to move every few years for my father's employment. So moving and relocating and adapting to new environments was 
the norm for me. Um, this was a bit of a bigger move, obviously moving to the other side of the world, but it wasn't really a, a shock to me because I had done it growing up. I had done it, you know, for almost 20 years of my life. So yeah, and as an adult, I moved quite frequently myself within Canada. So relocating was was really not a fear of mine. I mean, there were moments afterwards, of course, where I've been here and I'm, I'm like, oh my goodness, like I'm not close. I can't just get on a plane and go home. It'll take 36 hours to get there. But I, I mean, the other option was, you know, not being with my husband. And we're both very happy. We both had to make sacrifices, but we're both very happy with our decision. Yeah, definitely. And so when your husband was posted over in Canada, um, had he and also yourself at that time been looking for a relationship or was it just like was something um, that was meant to be? I was definitely not looking for a relationship and I would suggest that he wasn't either. I think we just connected a few times and then connected later and got talking and realized, you know, how compatible we would be and how easy it was and, you know, how attracted we were to each other. And we decided to keep the communication open and it ended up going into a relationship. So when that was all sort of happening, did you have any thoughts in your mind about what Navy life would be like as a spouse, any sort of concept of what that would be? No, I didn't. And I think I didn't just because I don't think I fully recognize how frequent individuals in the Navy moved. I think I just kind of tossed it in the back of my head and thought, oh, it's not really a big deal. I'm accustomed to relocating. I'll just adapt. And also my husband at the time was in a shore posting. So he did a little bit of travel while he was in his position in Canada, but I was doing more travel for my job at the time. So I wasn't really thinking about the positions that would require him to be away more frequently. So what was your introduction to him going away? Well, obviously he, he moved back to Australia without you, but once you came over to Australia and you were settled, how soon did he get another posting or a deployment or go away while you were over here? I think my first introduction of a deployment while we were under the same roof, because he had done, I think about three while we resided apart. Yep. But the first one, um, while we were uh, living together, in Australia was, I'm going to say about five months after I arrived. And that's outside of weekly running. He had done some weekly runnings prior to his deployment. So it was about five months after I got here. And it was actually cut short a month early. So it hadn't really been a bad experience. He hasn't been away that long. And his deployment scheduled for the end of this year has actually been cancelled. So he's going to be home for the rest of the year and likely the following year. Wow. (laughs) Worked out well then. (laughs) It did. It worked out really well so far. So when he went away for that first trip that ended up being four months instead of five months, your dogs had come out of quarantine and um, had you made a couple of friends or what? how did you sort of cope? Because you were kind of coming with knowing no one other than your husband. Yeah. I mean, as an individual, I'm super independent. I tend to kind of dance to my own tune. I'm, I am I kind of stick to myself and do my own thing. But a few weeks after we got here, we went to the ship's ball where I was introduced to quite a few people and learned that they lived in my neighborhood. So I quickly met some other Navy wives and we stay in touch. So I have been very fortunate to have met um, some lovely people within the Navy and they just automatically accepted me because of Dave. So it's been a really good experience. Wow, that's awesome. So when you moved over, what career were you leaving over in Canada and how did you think that would transfer over here? I have 
always been in um, really demanding jobs that require me to travel. When I met my husband, I was working for a chemical distributor and basically worked out of town from Monday to Friday and lived in hotels. And essentially, that's how I met David was because I was working away from home so frequently. I wasn't really overly concerned about the career part because the majority of the companies that I worked for were um, multinational companies and they provided global opportunities. So I wasn't concerned about that. Um, And also having grown up and having to have relocated with my father's employment. My mom was a nurse and always had to kind of take the back burner with her career. So it wasn't a situation that I was not accustomed to, or that would be a big change for me. So I didn't really think very much about that at the time. Okay. So it wasn't like it was a a big pull between leaving your career or coming to be with your husband? No, not at all. So have you been working over here? How how has that worked? So (laughs) have you been doing it on Line or how does that so ironically um, <laughs> the reality is that the employer I was working for operated in 130 countries except for Australia so we ended up having to um, start the immigration process with my spouse sponsoring me as opposed to my employer sponsoring me and unfortunately this has put me out of the workforce for 21 to 26 months and yeah. how have you coped with that because obviously you said <laughs> that you're a fairly independent person <laughs> it's been a change um, I've definitely gone from being really busy and having jobs that are really demanding and traveling quite a bit to the role of becoming a housewife. So it's been a big change. I stay relatively busy, so I'm not overly lost for things to do, but it's definitely been a big change. And has that emotionally, how did you sort of cope with that in regards to, I know that when I've moved in the past, I didn't realize how much of my self-worth I placed on my job Uh, and my career. And uh, when I didn't have that, I had to do a lot of soul searching in regards to changing my mindset about what makes you successful and what makes you you sort of thing when you've been in a position and striving for something for so long and then it's sort of not there not by choice but because of the the sort of situation yeah it that's been a big struggle I always identified myself as being independent and self-sufficient and not requiring anybody's support for anything or any type of thing to succeed in life and now I have to realize that, yeah, actually I've got some better qualities than just like the outside image of being a successful independent woman. You know, I have to tune into some other characteristics and realize that there is a bigger picture. And obviously my husband didn't marry my job. He didn't marry the image of me. He actually married me for who I am. And he knew that, but it's taken me this past year to realize that, oh, wow, I have, I have more to offer than what I had thought for the last 20 years. So it's been tough because there are moments where I'm like, oh my gosh, like the roles have reversed so much. And I weighed so much of my self-esteem on being independent. So now I have to kind of look at things differently and realize that there's a lot more that I have to offer than just the trivial things, the things that aren't really important in life. So it's been a bit of a change, but it's been a great eye-opener. Some days are harder than the others, but it's good growth, I think. And obviously just having that network of other spouses would definitely help. If you hadn't have gone to that ship's ball and sort of put yourself out there and met those people, it might've been a little bit of a harder transition to have 
someone other than your husband to sort of talk to and feel supported by. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And I feel that everybody, everybody I've met so far in the Navy, they've initiated uh, reaching out to me, even friends that were not on my husband's ship, friends of his, everybody's kind of reached out and given me offered support or anything immediately when I moved here. It's a very close knit community. And so the whole immigration process, was that sort of smooth or were there hiccups along the way with that? Or did you expect it to be just submit a form? Okay, now I can come (laughs) over or what, how did that work? You know, the, the importation of my dogs was much harder in terms of what they wanted. It was a nine month process as opposed to the immigration process, which just required a submission of information that took me, I think, a few days and a a hefty fee, but I'm still in the immigration process. There's still a wait time, I guess, of 21 to 26 months to approve my visa. Um, So it's more of a wait game than anything else. I wouldn't, it's, it's not hard. It's just preparing yourself to wait a period of time and basically sit on dead air because the processing time takes forever. And for me, obviously, I would like to go back into the workforce, but this is the key factor on that happening. That's right. And how does that sort of work with you accessing, say, the defense medical scheme card and all of that? You're recognized as your husband's partner by defense or how does it sort of work with immigration still happening? No, until I have my spousal visa approved. In fact, I think until I have permanent residency, I'm not going to be recognized for Medicare or any type of medical scheme by the defense. So right now I'm under... Um, private healthcare that we out of pocket, which doesn't really cover much. And coming from Canada, where our medical system, our healthcare system is a little different, and the majority of employers would pay for your healthcare coverage. That was a huge eye opener for me coming here. And a huge, obviously, if you have medical issues, a huge issue. <laughs> I've had a few. <laughs> yeah. So there's been a change in his plans for the next sort of year and a half. So yes. what had been in your mind, the sort of plan for the next year and a half with obviously you've been together a couple of years, um, had you spoken about children and how that would work with postings? And now that obviously his next year and a half plan has changed, is that working better for you or how does that? It's good. I, I'm quite happy um, that he won't be able to see and he'll be home for the next year. I think that's fantastic for family planning. We didn't really decide to plan any of those things around a posting based on our age. I'm 39. He, he will be 39. So we just kind of wanted to start a family ASAP. But of course, we had challenges with that living apart for 15 months and then just residing here for a few months here and a few months there. So I'm hoping that family planning will be will come to in the next year or so while he's home. Mm-hmm. Have you heard about our lots of love care packages? An anonymous and free box of self-care goodies that can totally make a military spouse's day. It's a way for friends and family to send an acknowledgement in the mail to a military spouse to let them know they're awesome and the Navy Wife Life community has their back. Pop over to the Navy Wife Life website after you finish listening to this episode, of course, and sign someone up for the Lots of Love box. 
So how did that work with him being away? Obviously, because time is the of the essence um, yep. and you wanted to just get straight onto it. Um, but with him being away, did he sort of come back for trips on weekends? Um, was there anything that you did to help that during the months that he was gone? No, it was really hard. Um, and unfortunately, while we were in different countries, we just, you know, it was very difficult to plan the exact time for him to fly back for a week here and there. We just had to take what we could get. Um, so that was a big challenge. And then of course, when I was here and he was doing weekly runnings and then was deployed, I mean, we have very, I, we have very little control over that. Um, one thing we did do after a couple of months of me moving here was go to a specialist. And we were advised that based on my husband's schedule and based on my age, we should probably just do a round of IVF to kind of get cracking on everything. So we did our first round of IVF last July and that it wasn't successful. And then he deployed for four months. So we're still in the process of trying to get a consecutive period where we're actually trying to have children. And then we're actually trying to come up with a date to possibly do another round of IVF in the future. So the first round of IVF wasn't successful and then your husband went away. How how did you cope emotionally with that sort of knowing, okay, well, we can't even try for the next four months and it's just a waiting game of, you know, obviously the clock is ticking as every female knows. Yeah. Those four months, you know, would have been so agonizing just waiting for him to get back. Yeah, it was really tough. IVF was just, it's a really emotionally draining process. It's a real eye opener and anybody that has gone through it understands how cold and calculated and scientific it is. But we were both so devastated when it wasn't successful that I don't, we needed some time. Like it took us about seven months after the first round of IVF to even go back to a specialist and discuss doing a second cycle. So we kind of, I think we both just put it on the back burner and we're like, we just need some time away from it because it, it's so emotionally draining that when it doesn't work, it is just it's a horrible uh, situation to go through. I mean, it, I'm sure it's great for those who are successful with it, but the majority of time they tell people that it takes quite a few rounds in order for it to work. So the more cycles of IVF you do, the more successful you are. Yeah, we found it very, very devastating after the first round. So we needed some time to just sit back on it. Yeah, and not even to mention the financial side of things because <laughs> obviously you're not covered via Medicare, which I mean, it's not all covered by Medicare anyway, but there is a little bit that you get back, um, which is yeah. better than nothing. It's, it is. It's really expensive. Yeah. And we out of pocket, it. We, we out of pocket it. So we're, yeah, it's a very big expense. And, you know, I think when people are successful and they've put the money out, they don't really care about the money, but then you start thinking like, oh, maybe I should have adopted, or maybe I should have done this, or you kind of start questioning it because it's a lot of money to invest without without getting yeah. pregnant. And then obviously with your age, you're looking at it as in if you don't make the decision to do it, you might miss your chance yeah. to even do it by that way. Yeah. There's been a big push on letting me know that my age is of essence and importance and I need to get pregnant very soon. And the specialists think that doing another round of IVF is my best bet because obviously my eggs are younger 
this month than they would be next month. So, you know, there's always the fear of making the wrong decision. Like, should we try naturally for a few more months or should we spend the money and have another unsuccessful round? So it's a very, it's a tough decision to make, especially when my husband and I both want to start a family. Definitely. And um, so now obviously you got the happy news that he's home for a stretch so you can give it a good go. (laughs) Yes, hopefully. Yes, yes. We're trying to decide how long that go is going to be. And then we're trying to decide when we're going to do our next round of IVF. So the big thing is that he's home. But you also mentioned that they suggested that you do IVF just because purely because of your age, not because of any other fertility. Yeah, they did a whole bunch of cycle testing for us. They did a whole bunch of fertility tests on both my husband and I, and there was no medical reasons that we can't get pregnant. They suspect that our time together just wasn't consistent enough to maybe try. They technically say that they'd like people to try for 12 months consecutively before they identify an issue and they couldn't identify a medical issue with either one of us. And then of course, my husband's schedule and us residing in a part is for the challenge. So they kind of want to just pull all the young eggs out and give it a best go. And did you um, know about how hard it was with any of the other options in regards to starting a family over here as opposed to Canada? Because I know that international locations, it's much easier to go on to surrogates, to go on to a, the adoption process. It's, I mean, it's not easy, but it's much more available over in international countries as opposed to here. So I didn't realize that egg donors were different here. Um, I learned that after the fact. It's done a little bit differently. The legalities um, surrounding it does not make it as accessible in Australia as it would be in North America. Adoption in Canada is, I would say, equally as difficult to do. It could take five to 10 years if if it happens. It's, wow. it's similar to Australia. Um, so we would have to look at doing an international adoption adoption, should that be an option. Um, And from what I have read, there may be some challenges based on the fact that we both don't have the same citizenship residing under the same country. So that may pose other challenges as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So yeah, because when you're trying for a baby and your husband's or your spouse is in the military or Navy, the postings and the going away just doesn't just stop because you're trying for a baby. (laughs) It doesn't. No. And, and we can't control that. You know, we, there's nothing we can do about that. But when I did my first round of IVF, he was doing weekly running. So it was really frustrating because I did most of the appointments by myself and I did, you know, the injections myself and it was very cold and calculated and not warm and fuzzy. It was very regimented, like the blood work you had to do every week and the injections you did every morning and you felt horrible. The hormones made you feel terrible. But when we came to the point where I had to have surgery to do the egg retrieval, my husband was doing the weekly running and I said, you know, you're not going to get, you're not going to get any notice for this. You have to let your boss know that, you know, you're going to get a call from me or an email from me. And it's going to be like, I need you here to take me to the hospital. I said, you might get 36 hours notice, but it's not going to be a lot. And my husband was really struggling with why I couldn't come up with a specific date. And I was like, well, Mother Nature, you know, is going to decide this instead of the Navy. So we kind of struggled with that because I I was getting really frustrated with 
how his job was indirectly kind of dictating our family planning. And he was kind of frustrated with how I couldn't give him a specific date. (laughs) It all worked out. They ended up landing him for the surgery. He had a fantastic boss who was incredibly family oriented and understood our circumstances. But it was definitely a challenge to get him back to do the surgery to retrieve my eggs. It was a definite eye opener. I think at that moment, I realized how different my life was from other spouses who did not have partners in the Navy. They just don't have those challenges. When your husband comes home every night and he goes to an office every day, the challenges are very different. And um, what was it like for your husband coming home to, obviously you'd been injecting yourself during the week and um, the hormones were a bit all over the (laughs) shop. Was he greeted with open arms at the end of the week or was he? um... (laughs) He was greeted with a few meltdowns, I think. The medication for me made me really tired. So instead of making me a little irritated, which I thought it might, uh, it just made me very lethargic. So I went from being a very physically active person to spending days in bed and just being very emotional. So my husband, I, I think, was thinking he'd rather be out to sea. But you know, the bigger picture was we had to do this in order to see if we could have a baby. So he was very, very accommodating to me. And lots of FaceTime with family and friends back home? or Yeah. Oh, definitely. I have a huge needle phobia. So yeah, my biggest challenge was injecting myself. And when I was going to my appointments, they would do these practice needles and I couldn't do it. So the nurses were like, I don't know how you're going to do this. You have to inject yourself every day and your husband's not there to help you. Like you might have to come in every single day to get these injections. I was considering traveling about 20 minutes to go get an injection (sighs) at 7 a.m. every morning. Um, I know. I spent a lot of time FaceTiming my mom because she's a nurse. So she would kind of talk me through it. I would get the injection and I'd be like, okay, talk to you tomorrow, mom. Like it was, <laughs> it was pretty intense, but I got through it and I'm, I'm fortunate I had the support, you know, in that sense to do it. So we got over everything. It, it all worked out. Yeah. Crazy. And I mean, <laughs> even though you've sort of, even when you are in a new location or you've been there for a while and you've got a good support network, it's still not to the point where you've got someone that can come every day to jab a needle into you if you need to. Like it's not that, yes, yes, you have friends, but it's not that kind of like. It's actually one of my friends is a nurse um, and she's offered to do it. It just, her schedule and when I need the injections don't align. So I need to take these injections at the same time every day. Normally, I think I was taking them at like 6am and 7am in the morning. So it just wasn't feasible to have her do it. I really had to get over it and do it myself. And I mean, it became the norm. I hated it. And sometimes, you know, I'd sit there for a half an hour, an hour before, you know, I had talking yourself into it. Yeah. Talking myself into it. But yeah, I mean, I I do have a really good support system here, but it's, it is not the same, obviously as having your mom inject you, inject you. Definitely. (laughs) So you're going to give yourself a little bit of time before you have to decide definitely to go ahead with the next round of IVF. Yeah. How how is that sitting in your mind with that as every month sort of goes on? We, uh, we just can't decide what, where to draw the line, like where to draw the line naturally because of my age. There just seems to be such a pressure from the specialists that we've met to get pregnant immediately and as soon as possible based on my age that we're like, how much longer do we give this? Do we really give it six months or is that going to jeopardize our ability to get pregnant with IVF if we give it an actual six months? So 
we're still trying to draw a line of where do we stop naturally and when do we start our next IVF cycle? Because, you know, if, if we have the ability to conceive naturally, we would obviously like to do that for numerous reasons, but we don't want to miss out on the opportunity of starting a family. So it, it's still up in the air. We can't really <laughs> decide, yeah. but yeah, have you asked for a sign or something from someone? <laughs> Give me a sign, someone to tell me. Someone. What to do. Well, somebody actually um, messaged me and told me that they they had a dream that I was pregnant. So I'm like, please let that be a sign. Please yeah. let that be a sign before mm. I have to do another round of IVF. Yeah. But I think we're just gonna have to go with our gut and just be like, okay, you know what? We need to do this. And if it's IVF, the second cycle of IVF doesn't work, then we need to kind of decide what to do after that. Because I mean, we, there's only so much in our control and we can only cross a bridge when we have a bridge to cross. So we're just trying to figure out the best route at this point. But I mean, there's really only so much we can control when it comes to mother nature and and babies. That's right. And then it, you might be getting to the stage where it might be time for your husband to go away again. Like, yeah. So yeah. then you had, you desperately want a child. So obviously it wouldn't matter if he was going away, but then he would mind yeah. obviously, but it wouldn't be a choice between planning it around that because you just take yeah. it when it happens. But yeah, you sort of in your, the back of your mind, obviously the months are ticking away for fertility wise, but then they're also ticking towards him going away again. So it's yeah. just so, such a roller coaster. It is. It's definitely not. It wasn't even a thought. I didn't even consider how his job being in the Navy would would be a challenge for for children. It didn't even cross my mind. But now that I'm in this situation, it's really important to have a plan. (laughs) It's really important to have a plan if your spouse is in the Navy or the defense and they travel a bit. It's really important to be aware of your age and fertility factors. It's all happened when it was meant to be, obviously, you know, just crazy in the fact that you met each other while he was overseas and how it's all sort of worked out. So it'll be interesting to see how it works out in the next couple of years for you guys. And so changing the subject totally, how does it go from being in Canadian weather to Perth weather? Oh, (laughs) a whole new wardrobe. (laughs) I actually miss, I miss the fall and I miss the the winter. I miss the cooler months. I don't mind the heat. We do have 40 degree weather, but it only lasts for about two to three months. So it's just a longer period of warmer weather. It's different. I struggle with keeping our grass green and our plants alive. And (laughs) there's a few things where I'm kind of learning my ways around it. What sort of things have you done to sort of keep yourself as in self-care and um, just prioritize yourself, pep yourself up a bit from everyday life, military life, spouse life? Self-care is really important. And I think it, you know, it can happen in a lot of, in a lot of different forms. So whether it's going to the gym or spending time alone or getting a massage, I think it's good to take periods of time for yourself. I'm a super regimented kind of routine oriented individual. So I, even though I'm not working right now, I tend to still like stick to my schedule. So I still get up at 530 in the morning and I still exercise the dogs and then I exercise myself and then I take time for my regular appointments, like my nail appointments, my hair appointments, my massage appointments. But I'm still in the process of learning self-care and how to listen to my body instead of kind of ignoring it and pushing myself 
mentally and physically and emotionally. So for me, a big part of self-care is saying no to people Yes, <laughs> without any explanation, without any feeling of guilt. It took me a long time to learn how to say no to employers or partners, friends and family, but I've gotten really good at it. So what I tend to do regularly, which kind of upsets some of my family members, <laughs> they're trying to reach me, is I just, I'll take a week here, I'll take a couple of weeks, and I tend to do it when my husband's away, but I'll just completely disconnect from everybody for a week or two. I will turn off my FaceTime, I will ignore my text messages, I'll delete my social media app. Um, on you. my phone. And I, well, it's easy. It's easy for me to do this right now because I'm not working and I don't have kids. Yeah. But it's something that I'm learning to do because I'm learning how important self-care is and how important it is to listen to your body. So for me, you know, sometimes it's good to just disconnect from people and do what's good for me and take care of me and then reconnect. And I'm just, I'm a better sister. I'm a better daughter. I'm a better partner. So that's worked for me. I've always kind of put my health, I guess, as a priority. So I'm always quite physically active. I try to put that first. You know, I think for me to make me feel better is to actually disconnect from technology a lot. That seems yeah. to work for me. It's not selfish to do that. It's really important to take care of yourself. I don't explain myself anymore. I politely say, I'm sorry, I'm not available. And I don't have any stress. I used to have so much stress when I said yes to things I didn't want to do. I mean, maybe that comes with age, maybe it comes with experience. But I'm really, I'm really happy I learned that. Because I'm really hoping that if my husband and I are fortunate enough to have children, that I can implement some of those self-care strategies when it happens. And so is there anything that you would, um, any advice that you give to military couples that are about to embark on a fertility journey or, you know, the start of obviously going to doctors and things like that? What would you say they should do as in to stay strong as a couple and what should their steps be first off, like getting a great doctor or just trusting your gut? What would you say to them? I think when it comes to to family planning, my advice to anyone um, wanting to have children and are experiencing any type of challenge, whether it's pursuing a career or maybe not being in the right relationship at the time or juggling travel schedules would be to um, get educated about fertility and age. That being said, it's important to have a really, really good uh, specialist that you feel confident with. Aside from that, I mean, I knew very little about IVF prior to this. And <laughs> I, I still find it quite amazing that with all the science and the research and the progression of women in the workplace, that one detail has eluded <laughs> so many of us. I always assumed that I could get pregnant quite quickly because I had no pre-existing health conditions. I didn't realize my age might pose a factor in the delay of getting pregnant. Sadly, I didn't realize that after the age of 35, your fertility, especially for females, can, can go downhill quite quickly. And it's not to say that you can't get pregnant, but it could take a lot longer or you could need some assistance with hormones or treatments or IVF. I think most people see 
or know of women <laughs> getting pregnant in their later 30s and their 40s and not recognizing that they might have had some reproductive assistance or some hormone treatments in order to get pregnant, or it might have taken them four years to get to that point. So I think it's really important to just educate yourself, even if you're not even if you're not there yet, if you're not ready to have the baby, or you're thinking you're going to do it in a year or two, it's really important to just educate yourself, maybe come up with a solution, whether it's go through a round of IVF and freeze your eggs at the age of 30 so that you can use them at 35 or 36. I think educating yourself is so important. I think we're missing, we're missing that. Nobody really talks about the challenges of conceiving later in life. It's, it's almost like there's a shame to it or a stigma associated to it. So I think it's really important to open communication about that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. All of us will be wishing and crossing our fingers and toes and everything that it all happens for you. And we can't wait to hear hopefully the baby news. Yes, I hope so. I so hope you are able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in the same boat. Or should I say ship? We're all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into iTunes and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I'm always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.navywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you.